Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. In 2018, contemporary Christian singer Lauren Daigle released a song called You Say. Does anyone know the song? Yes, okay, I see some hands. The single, unlike most contemporary Christian songs these days, went on to massive what's called pop crossover success. This means it wasn't just played on Christian radio stations, it was played on every radio station. And it made, her, made this album the highest earning Christian album by a woman in 20 years. The official music video for You Say has 280 million views. And to give you some context for YouTube, that's like the total of a few of Taylor Swift's most recent music video drops views. If you added those together, that's how many views You Say has gotten. So in an age when Christianity was starting to lose some of its cultural relevance, Lauren Daigle's song gained it. How did this happen? Obviously, Lauren has an amazing voice, no doubt, but I think it had something to do with the words in the song that resonated with millions of people across the globe. Here are the words. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say I am yours. And I believe, oh, I believe what you say of me. The only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you, I find my worth. In you, I find my identity. It's a song about identity. And the world's reception of this song shows just how many people were craving these words to know who they really are. We all want to know who we are. It's the big question, right? Who God says we are. In our passage today in Matthew, we have the story of Jesus being baptized. Yes, we've skipped a few weeks from the nativity scene and now Jesus is a grown man. You just gotta catch up, you know? The Bible doesn't give you much time to catch up in between chapters, but we can do it. And he, he comes to Galilee to be baptized by John the Baptist. And I'm in uh, the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter three, verse 13. If you wanna follow along on your phone or you, if you need a Bible, uh, you, can wait, you can wave your hand. Um, I know that's kinda of awkward, but we won't, we'll be okay if you do. Greg's got some in the back. Um, so Jesus comes to Galilee to be baptized by John the Baptist. And I kinda of feel for John the Baptist in this scene because Jesus asks John to baptize him. Now, I can only speak from the experience of Jenna the Baptist, which is a very different experience than John the Baptist. 
But I do know that baptizing is a pretty serious task and it takes some preparation. There is the rehearsal of the dunk, ensuring that your person goes all the way under, harder than you might think. And John doesn't even get much warning before the Son of God is asking him to do this sacred ritual. Aren't you the one better equipped to do this? He says back to Jesus. I bet John was genuinely perplexed at Jesus' commandment. John had been baptizing people already, establishing a strong ministry, and had earned a reputation as the guy with the best reviews for baptism. But this moment was kind of like that show Undercover Boss, where when the CEO of a company shows up to the counter to order a sandwich, John wasn't expecting the Son of God, the Messiah, to come to him for this sacred ritual. Was, he, was John dehydrated with a lot of dust in his eyes, or was that really his Lord walking toward him on this path? A path that he had been trying to pave for Jesus, shouting in the wilderness, pave the way for the Lord. Jesus makes the journey all the way from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, and this was approximately a 40-mile hike. It's a long walk. And this marks the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. There's been a lot of silence between chapter 2 and chapter 3, and if, the, if this gospel was a play, the, think about the nativity scene as scene one, and then this is grown Jesus enters, stage left. We're in a new stage of the play, new scene. So when Jesus enters stage left, and the scene is at the Jordan River, why would Jesus need to be baptized in the first place? Isn't he like good, you know, you don't, you don't need to do this, John is probably wanting to say. You're probably okay with God. You don't need to ha proclaim forgiveness of sins. But instead of being this elite Messiah who takes over John's ministry immediately, he humbles himself and asks John to baptize him. What a savior. Jesus begins his ministry by doing the very thing that other humans were doing. He falls into John's arms and the son of God is dunked back into the water. His knees bend and he holds his breath because remember, he is human after all. When he comes out of the water, this is where it gets a bit wild. He sees the heavens part and a voice says, this is my beloved, my son, in whom I am well pleased. That's what the, that's what the text says. It says, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, I'll say it again, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. What's interesting is we don't actually know from this passage if John witnessed this too. 
because we don't get a reaction from John described by Matthew. And it actually says, it just uses he and him, not them. It says, when he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were open to him and he saw. So for all we know, this could have been a private moment between Jesus and God. We'll never know, of course, but it's a really important moment that establishes the truth about who Jesus is. His journey won't be easy, and his identity will be constantly misunderstood and questioned. People will all have their opinions about who this rowdy rabbi really is, and they'll have these opinions about the kind of king they want him to be. They'll all have words for him that are far from beloved, words about his identity, imposter, agitator, false prophet, rule breaker. But all of that goes silent when he is submerged in the Jordan River, the rushing water in his ears, literally blocking out the sounds of the world. The only sound that remains is the sound of love calling down through the heavens and announcing this belovedness of Christ. So before the world says who Jesus is, before he'll walk that hard journey ahead of him, before his public ministry starts, God gets to have the first word. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Did you know that the same is true with us? Rachel Held Evans said that baptism is a defiant act in which we name the belovedness of a child of God. It's defiant, she said, because the world will constantly try to name us with words that are anything but that. She gives a few examples, fat, failure, addict, slut, prodigy, hero, all of these words coming at us. But in baptism, we join Christ in naming who we really are, beloved by God. This opening scene with adult Jesus at the Jordan River would parallel the ending scene too, you know, when Jesus would be submerged to the grave and would be raised by God in resurrection. But we're not there yet, it's not Easter, so don't get, don't get too excited. We got a ways to go before we get to the resurrection. But there's something so symbolic about Jesus' act of being baptized. It established his identity, but it also symbolizes the way he would submit, submerge himself to the way of love, no matter what it cost him. He would always trust fall back into these waters that created change. The Apostle Paul says that we join Jesus in baptism. And you might be thinking, is, is this some big ask to see if you want to get baptized? <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe you do at some point. It's a conversation we can have together. I know that there's some type of apparatus here that, that you can be submerged in. And that's an important moment. And I do, I do want our children to learn about that ritual. And it is, it is very important. 
But no matter if or when you take that plunge, literally, our work together here is, is this work, is this work of salvation, of remembering who we really are and remembering who other people really are, their truest identity. Paul says that we were therefore buried with Christ through baptism into death, just in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's what it's all about. Newness and transformation through the Spirit of God. Our baptism, our journey of faith, is really about dying to everything that is not the knowledge of our belovedness. That's kind of a chunky sentence, so I'll say it again. Our journey of faith is about dying to everything that is not the knowledge of our belovedness and the belovedness of all creation. It's continually dying to the desire to seek identity in all those other names. It's dying to the efforts to save ourselves with fancy identities and labels that suit us and money and fame and pride. All of that goes away. Self-made individualism goes away. It's dying to the other false identities that we have worn so long out of habit and that the world tells us to wear. It's the defiant act of naming who we are and who our neighbor is, beloved. I recently watched a Netflix special that I really recommend. It's when Viola Davis talks to Oprah in, um, has anybody seen this? Her, she, Viola Davis um, is an actress in Hollywood. She's one of the most highest earning black actresses in Hollywood and she has a new book called Finding Me. And she talks to Oprah in this hour long, it's about 45 minutes, but go watch it, it's so worth it. She tells the story about her journey to name who she really is. Because even when she had hit this level of fame in Hollywood, her soul beckoned her to do some more exploring who she really is. She struggled to love herself after facing years of racism, bullying, and intense poverty. But she says this, she says that it was the words of others that gave her permission to love herself. When others saw her as beautiful or capable, she began to see that too. When she was seen, she could then see herself and even see others. This act of baptism, this journey of faith, it's all about God blessing us, giving us the permission we need to love ourselves. Not in a narcissistic, prideful way, not the kind of love that means we're done being worked on by God, right? That's not the self-love that God's asking us to have. It's a remembering of our truest identity in Christ. Beloved. And then we get to pass on that knowledge to others. We get to remind them of who they really are when they feel they're falling short or they forget their value. It's a really big task, but the Spirit speaks through us. 
then we are closer, we're getting closer to what Dr. King called the beloved community. Jesus is called beloved, God's beloved son. And that's also applies to community. Our truest identity as, as a community is beloved as well. Dr. King, who we'll, we'll honor Monday, spent his life cultivating this beloved community. And this is what he says in 1957 about beloved community. The end is reconciliation. The end is redemption. The end is the creation of the beloved community. It is this type of spirit and this type of love that can transform this world. The type of love that I stress here is not eros, a sort of aesthetic or romantic love, not philea, a sort of reciprocal love between personal friends, but it is agape, which is understanding goodwill for all people. It is an overflowing love which seeks nothing in return. It is the love of God working in the lives of men. This is the love that will be the salvation of our civilization, our truest identity. Our truest identity as individuals is beloved, and our truest identity as a whole planet Earth is beloved. I wonder if together, through the grace of God, as we enter this new chapter, Life in Deep Ellum, our comeback era, if you will, <laughs> if we get excited about creating beloved community, about not just being a good neighbor, but actually being in relationship being sisters and brothers and siblings with those that are God is calling us to be. I wonder if together with the grace of God we could walk this path. I wonder what would happen if we believed in our belovedness and let everything we do flow out of that when the world continues to say that black lives do not matter, may we say black lives matter and even more than that, black lives are beloved. Kenan Anderson's life was beloved. And when the world says that queer and trans lives don't matter, we will say, oh, oh no, you got it wrong, you see, because their lives don't just matter, they're. And the same applies for the lives of immigrants, the lives of those right around us. Because I wonder if people right around us in Deep Elam, in Deep Elam need to really know that they are beloved. When the names the world gives us fall way short, panhandler and politician, enemy, hero, Republican, Democrat, moderate, millionaire, supermodel, criminal, misfit, millennial, Gen Z, failure, bipolar, 
all of these labels, when they fall short, may we remember who we truly are in Christ Jesus, a beloved child of God. Because it doesn't matter if you're the Duke of Sussex or you think you're the Duke of Saxe, Texas. You need to know who you really are. And when these words fall short, may, like our Christ Jesus, our Savior, may the waters wash over us and may a new identity emerge. You say, I am loved, when I can't feel a thing. You say, I am strong, when I think I am weak. And you say, I am held, when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, oh, you say, I am yours. And then here's our part. We can hear all the things that God says, but here's what's required next and what Lauren says. And I believe. Oh, I believe what you say of me. I believe the only thing that matters now is everything you think of me. In you I find my worth. In you I find my identity. Amen. Mm -hmm.